Good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Healthy, happy? Here? That's good, yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad you're here. Um, so yesterday, finally got around to it and went and visited John and got myself a haircut. It's funny, every time, every time I get a haircut and, it's the, and like a couple of days later or it's, or it's the Sabbath later and I come in, John doesn't look at me. He looks at, yeah, it's looking pretty good. He's, yeah, you, whoever cut your hair did a good job, you know. Uh, but while I was there, so, so John's been getting really busy. I guess he's gotten better. I don't know what's going on. But, but he's got a, he had a lot of people waiting there. And so I'm waiting there, you know. And um, uh, this father-son, I believe, couple came in. And they sat down, and they were kind of uh, just chatting. And, and, and the son, his name was Aaron, very, very friendly immediately. So he started talking, and so now he's talking to me, and, and I'm talking to him. And you must understand me, so just so you know, whenever somebody engages in a conversation with me, I am constantly saying to myself, does this person know that this is very dangerous? Because I'm going to start, if this gets any further, I'm going to start praying for this person. And, and, and who knows, you know, maybe I will be a tool in God's hand to help him across the threshold of eternity. As we talked about the very first time, when I said to you every morning, I get up, one of the first things that comes out of my mouth as I am praying is, God, please, if there's any way that you could use me, any way that you could do something in my life so that I can shine for you, please use me. And, 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 and so I'm always interested when stuff like that happens. So Aaron was very talkative. And so we're talking, and, he, and, and I don't know how he even came up, but the next thing I know, I'm talking about growing up in Italy. And he's like, oh, really? He goes, I love Italian food. He says, I've been trying to cook Italian food, and it just never comes out the same. And he says, I, I don't know what it is. And so I'm telling him, you know, well, actually, simplicity really is the, the key to making good Italian food. And he's like, really? He says, do you have any good recipes? I'm like, yeah, I've got good recipes, you know. And then it happened. All of a sudden, he says, hey, can I have your phone number so that I can give you some recipes, so you can give me some recipes? And I said, he has no clue. <laughs> Bless his heart. He doesn't have a, he, he, poor guy doesn't know anything that's happening to him right now. He doesn't know that this moment was designed by God in, in this, in this, place where we're getting a haircut and we have to wait not because John is slow but because he's busy we have to wait there and we're having this discussion and dad would try to chime in once in a while but Aaron would always interrupt and he would always go for it and I'm thinking does he know that God is as sad at me that this is not coincidental so I said I give you something better I'll give you my email gotta be smart right because I don't know Aaron <laughs> I said, give me your email. If you email me, I will be glad to email you back some information. And I am just waiting for this. You, really? Really? Come on. He had me write it down. I said, okay, can you read it? I had him repeat it after me. So he's reading it. I'm like, okay, good. You got it. So now he couldn't believe it. 
So I'm waiting, and I will keep you posted on the Aaron story. We've been talking about being contagious. And my, 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 my hope, and I'm assuming, I perceive that he felt like my recipes are better than his. My hope that through Italian food, I can invite him over to my house sometime and say, let me show you how to do it. Right? And then, and then as I show him how to do it, that we can develop a friendship. And then as we become friends, that God will work through this process and turn this friend into a church visitor. And then turn this church visitor into a family member. And then turn this family member into a contagious follower of Jesus Christ. Are you following what I'm saying here? That's how it works. It doesn't take much. All it takes is just to have a conversation. It could be about anything. At this point, it's just about Italian food. I don't know why, but I'm glad. Use whatever you got. You don't know how God's going to use you. If you get up every morning and you pray that prayer, God is going to honor it. And things are going to happen. Do you believe that? So one of these days, I may introduce you to Aaron the Sneezer. The one who is contagious for Jesus Christ. And we'll tell his story. I want to tell you a story that's found in John chapter 4. In the book of John, I'm going to be reading to you from the NIV. It'll be on the screen here. And I'm actually going to just go through this story a little bit at a time. It's very familiar to those of you who know your Bible. If you don't, this is a great little story. You'll love it. And I'm just going to be taking out some points from this story as it pertains to being contagious for Jesus Christ. Fair enough? All right. So it starts off with this uh, story. And it, 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 again, there, I don't think there's anything in the Bible that's just there coincidentally. I believe the story is there on purpose. I believe some of the words that are chosen are there on purpose. And it goes like this. Chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, it says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. My, oh, my. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and, back, and went back once more to Galilee. Why? Because he did not want to become too famous. He did not want to uh, arouse too much um, prejudice so early on in his experience as the new Messiah, as the Messiah coming onto the scene. And so he decides, look, uh, I think I better kind of slow things down. And here's one thing that I've learned about God. You've heard me say this before. It's probably because I'm a drummer, but God's timing is perfect. He knows no haste and no delay. He knows exactly what to do, when to do it, how to do it. And, and so he says, I better get going. So he starts going. And then it says, in verse 4, it says, now he had to go through Samaria. Really? Was that like a train that he took? Why did he have to go through Samaria? Actually, he did not have to go through Samaria. Actually, if you were a good Jew, you wouldn't go through Samaria. Uh, yes, it was the most direct route, but you wouldn't go through Samaria. You would go around Samaria because Jews didn't go through Samaria. 
Certainly not rabbis. Not rabbis that were trying to establish themselves. But, but here it says that Jesus had to go. Now, I, I'm going to assume that there was some geographical reason for this. Although I will say this to you. Uh, if he would have just traveled along the Jericho River, he would have made it there anyway, and he wouldn't have been thirsty. I'll explain in a minute. So here is Jesus, and the Bible says he had to go. Here's what I believe. I believe that one of the reasons why he had to go through Samaria was because he had to meet this woman. And he had to stop at this well. And he had to do it at noon. In the hottest part of the day where nobody else went to the well, he had to do that. Why? Because he's Jesus. And his timing is perfect. So now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour, noon. Did you, have you ever imagined Jesus tired? This is God. In the flesh. Tired? Jesus, is this just kind of like part of the story? Just kind of tells us that Jesus was tired. No, I, I think Jesus was actually really tired. I think he had been walking a long time, not along the river, so he was not only tired, but he was probably hungry and what? Thirsty. So he's tired, hungry, and thirsty, and he's, he's there by the well, and this is perfect. It's like, this is a great time to be thirsty, because I know who's coming to the well. This is a fantastic time to be thirsty here in Sychar by the well of Jacob. It says, when a Samaritan woman... See, I, I'm going to share something with you. This is the book of John. One of the four Gospels. All four Gospels tell a lot of the story of Jesus. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke have very similar accounts of the stories of Jesus. John, although it has some of the accounts, has a, a very unique approach to them and has some things in there that the others do not have. And John, we are told, was trying to reach the Jewish mind. Matthew was a tax collector, so his his approach was very political. Luke was a doctor, so his approach was very medical. He talked about the, 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 the wonderful miracles that Jesus did. Mark was a young man, so it's the shortest one, <laughs> of course. And, uh, and, and his, his favorite word in the book of Mark is immediately, immediately. I mean, let's get, get through it, right? Just like teenagers today, right? Let's just get through. Let's get to the point, right? So that was Mark. John was like, how do I convince these people that Jesus is God? See, for us as humans, understanding that Jesus is God is not an issue. Our biggest challenge is accepting Jesus as a human. To think of him tired, hungry. And thirsty. It says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, and again, if you were a Jew and you were listening to this story, the very first thing you would be going is like, huh? 
Jesus spoke to a Samaritan, a Samaritan woman, no less. Will you give me a drink? See, his disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman perceives that this is different. This is not normal behavior of a Jewish man. They could tell he's Jewish. I'm Samaritan. He's a man. I'm a woman. There's, there's something wrong with this exchange here. He would never talk to me. And he actually, actually says, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And it says in parentheses, for Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Did you catch that? Jews did not associate with Samaritans. What does that mean? That means that this was very, very odd. This was possibly ridiculous. This was something that was just no way. It, we talked about the word absurd this, this morning in our Sabbath school class. This was absurd. Really? You're going to talk to me about this? You're going to ask me? Why would Jesus ask her for a, a drink of water? Let me tell you something. Something that I've learned and it's really hard, especially in these days today. Trust is the glue of any relationship. Trust connects people in a way that nothing else can. When you learn to trust somebody, everything changes. Have you noticed that? So Jesus recognized an important principle here that trust begets Trust. See, if I trust you, a Samaritan woman with water, maybe you'll trust me with the water of life. Are, are you doing the math here? Aaron. Aaron, guess what? Share with me some of your other recipes. It's going to be what I'm going to be emailing him. And as I trust him with other recipes and I share with him my Italian recipes, maybe at some point he'll trust me as I share with him the bread of life. Trust begets trust. And this is all about connection. And this whole talk is about connection. I want you to understand the power of connection in the concept of being contagious for Jesus Christ. There's not a person in this room. There's not a child in this room. There's not an elderly person in this room. There's not a man or a woman. What nationality, what race, it doesn't really matter. All of you have the power to connect. God created us that way. And so Jesus says, give me a drink. And the woman says, how in the world could this happen? Why would you do this? Because we don't associate. See, this woman was waiting for rejection. That's why she went there at noon at the hottest time, because nobody else went there at the hottest time. She didn't want to deal with people at that time. So she says, I'm going to go at noon. It's the hardest time of the day. Nobody will be there. And here's this guy. He's a Jew. He's a man. And he's not rejecting me. This person had rejection built in her. I wonder how many of you have rejection built in you. 
Some of us have been rejected so many times that we don't trust anybody. How are we doing? In verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. <laughs> Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater and catch this word, don't miss this word, this is an important word, then our connection. Father Jacob. So I'm going to find a middle ground. We have different beliefs. I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew, different denominations maybe. I don't know how you want to put it in your context of today's world. But here's the common ground. Our Father Jacob, we both believe in Jacob, right? Jesus? Yeah, sir? Okay, good. Okay, our father Jacob, he says. Are you greater? She says. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? And Jesus says this. Don't miss this. This is so, so powerful. Jesus says everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. If you drink this water, you'll be thirsty again. But the water I have for you, you drink that, you will never thirst. Indeed, the water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. In other words, you'll not only have water, but you'll keep having water and keep giving water and keep having water. And the more you pour, the more you get. And this empty jar is sitting there listening, thinking, oh, how is this possible? And then she says these words, sir, verse 15, give me this water that you're talking about so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, I need you to understand something. Neither one of them are talking about water. I mean, yeah, they're talking about water, but they're not talking about water. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I guess what I want to ask you is, what are you thirsty for? We're all so thirsty. We are all so thirsty. That's why we check on our, in our Facebook, you know. Uh, uh, did, did they like my picture? Did, did they friend me, you know? Did they, did, they, did, they, did they comment on my post? I'm thirsty. <laughs> will, 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 will she notice me? Will he call me back? Will, will my dad value what I've become? Will they like my clothes? Will I be invited back? I'm thirsty. Will I be included? I'm thirsty. Listen, if we rely on others for validation, we will always go back for more. The only person that can truly validate us, that would fulfill us to the point that we are thirsty no more, is Jesus Christ. Are you following what I'm saying here? So what are you thirsty for? 
What are you going back to the well for over and over and over again? Because Jesus wants to give you that water that, that will fulfill you so much that you will never thirst again. So Jesus matches it up a little bit. He likes to do that. He says, go call your husband and come back. And I'm going to share this water with both of you. And you know this is trust now. Trust has really come into play at this point. And she says, I don't have a husband. I, I don't know why she would say, I have no husband. Uh, maybe it's because she didn't have one. Maybe it's because she didn't want to go back to town. Maybe it's because she wants to test out the water first before she gives it to somebody else. And that's where I would be doing But she says, I have no husband. And listen to what Jesus says. And I, now, I want you to understand something. I understood this totally wrong for so long. But as I've studied other scholars and I've read this more and more and more, the more and more it makes sense to me that there's something different about, and maybe even you, the way you thought about this situation. And I want you to kind of follow me with this because this this, it was powerful to me, and I don't know if it'll be just as powerful to you. But listen carefully. It says here, the woman, Jesus said to you, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now, here's the thing. I used to think that what Jesus was doing was calling her out. I used to think that what Jesus was saying is, you are a prostitute. Let's live with that truth for a moment. I used to think that what Jesus was saying is, you know, let's be honest, it's true, you've been sleeping around. But that's not what it says here. It says you have had what? Five husbands. Now let me tell you something about the culture of those days. In the culture of those days, whether you were Jew or Samaritan, it didn't matter. First of all, the woman was just second class. It was such second class that a woman could never for no reason at all, ask for a divorce. Only a man could ask for a divorce. Are you following me so far? Now, this gets even better, right? The most, in those days, the, one of the most respected uh, rabbis was a guy by the name of Elzer, and Elzer said these words, I'd rather burn the Torah than to teach a woman. That's how second place women were in that culture. Divorce was so rampant in that culture in those days that compared to today, they would make our statistics look really good. Because men could just say, okay, I don't like you anymore, boom, and they would divorce them and get somebody else. Now, if a woman was beautiful, they would keep her. 
But if a woman was beautiful and religious and spiritual, that spirituality would get in the way. And here's what I believe about this woman. I believe this woman was very, very spiritual. And I don't believe that just because I think so. I want to show it to you in the Bible. Because she understands things that are spiritual here. She says things that are deep. So I'm going to ask you to just put away that, that, that bias that says, hey, listen, you know what? Uh, this woman was some kind of... Pro- I, I, don't, I don't see this at all in the text, and, and you'll see this come out. Women were so... So thrown away. It was so bad. It was amazing. Remember when they were asking Jesus about divorce? And Jesus says, well, I will tell you. And he quotes Genesis. Remember that story when he quotes Genesis and he says, he says look, back in the days, you know, when, uh, when God says a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife and they shall become one. What they were understanding was that, that, wait, listen, you don't divorce, you become one. And it was so intense. I don't know if you remember this, but Peter said, well, how can anybody make it? <laughs> That's how bad it was. Because even Peter thought that. How on earth is this going to happen? Who can accept this, he says. <laughs> it's, it's unacceptable. That's how bad it was. And this, so this woman, for the first time, she thinks she's going to be rejected, but for the first time, she is meeting a man who will not reject her. And she's beginning to see this. She's beginning to understand this. She is an empty jar, and she's dying to be filled. And she finally finds somebody that is not going to take advantage of her and is willing to give her the water of life. I love this story. I love this story. This woman who had rejection built in day in, day out, now is is on the verge of something amazing. So this is what she says. She says... Sir, I can see that you are a prophet, verse 19. I mean, there's no way that anybody would know this about me. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So I'm willing now to step out of my comfort zone and talk about denominations here, Jesus. You guys think that this is where you should worship when we think we should be worshiping here. And she says, I need to know. I need to know, she says, which is true. And listen carefully to what Jesus says. Jesus declared, believe me, woman. And he wasn't trying to be, you know, disrespectful by calling her woman. He just didn't know her name, and that's the words they used then, you know. Believe me, woman, a time is coming. When you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, there's a time coming where all that will not matter. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that time. What about you? But then he says these words. If you're going to corner me on denominations, if you're going to corner me on truth, Jesus says these words. This is so powerful. He says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We, meaning Jews, worship what we do know, for salvation is from the 
Jews. And all that Jesus was saying here is, hey, hey, listen, I get this. I understand. And I'm not trying to, to, I'm trying to connect with you, not to disconnect with you. But since you're pulling me into this corner, I want you to know something. Truth is important. Can I get an amen on that one? Truth is important. And yes, these guys who one day will, will, will spit on me and try to throw me off a cliff and one day will crucify me, these guys, they have the truth. And salvation is from them. I am the Messiah that's a Jew. I'm coming from them. You just need to know that. The truth is important. But I'm looking forward to that day, he says. Well, that will not even be a problem at all. In fact, he says, yet, verse 23, he says, a time is coming and has now even come when true worshipers, not the ones who are worried about denominational divide, not the ones who are worried about all these things, but when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, in truth, for they are the kinds of worship the Father sees. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Truth is important, but listen, don't let our differences get in the way right now. Let's come together. Because the day is coming where we will be together. Other sheep I have of this fold. Remember that? And they must come too. So come on. And the woman finally says, I know that Messiah, this Jewish teaching, is coming and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And I believe she was saying that, and in her voice, Jesus recognized something, recognized the hope that she had, that she was talking to him. How cool is that? And Jesus gives her the water. Jesus declares, I who speak to you am he. Can I tell you something? When you share Jesus Christ with somebody, there is no greater moment than to see in the face, in the eyes of that person, the realization that who you speak of is Jesus. That who you speak of can heal the deepest hurts and the greatest challenges in our lives. That he who is Jesus can fulfill your life in ways that you could never imagine. Just then, at this very special moment, the disciples come in and ruin everything. <laughs> Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised <laughs> to find him talking with a woman, no less a Samaritan woman. But no one asked Uri, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? <laughs> can you imagine? I mean, I'm sorry. You have to forgive me. This is the way my mind thinks. Like, I can imagine them sitting together going, you ask him. No, I'm not asking. I'm not talking about No way. You ask him. I'm not going there, man. I don't, you know, this is Jesus, man. I don't know where he, he's always doing crazy stuff like this, you know. I mean, they're always just talking. I'm not asking. They're all just sitting there. Mm, okay. Don't forget he can read us. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I think I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall. Or the well, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> oh, man. Then leaving her water jar, which you never did, man, because that's expensive stuff. 
Your water jar stayed with you for a long time. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, now catch this, this is important, because this is the reason why I believe about what I said about her. She says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Why would anybody listen to her? Oh, here she goes again, the prostitute, right? Is that what they do? What would give her the courage to say this? She can't help it, right? But she's been rejected so many times, not because of her doing, but because of their doing. And yet she says, hey, come on, man. Come on now. No one is so far from God. No one is so, you guys can come. There is, I, I, don't, I know, George, you divorced me four times ago. And you, Fred, three times ago. Sorry, Fred. Uh, and, you know, you, and, and I know, I know. But don't listen, I want you to come and see the man who told me everything. Everything I ever did. It's unbelievable. This could be the Christ. And they came out to the town and made their way toward him. Isn't that awesome? The whole town. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Now, I like food. I think you know I like food, right? And there's been times when I'm like, I cannot wait to have this dinner. And I'm, I'm already preparing it in my mind. I got it all done. So it's going to be good, man. Have a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Sprinkle a little bit of this. I mean, I'm, 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 it's all good to go. And then someone calls me and says, Pastor, I've got this thing. And I start talking with them. And then 6 o'clock turns into 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock turns into 8 o'clock. And the next thing you know, I've not eaten. And I'm like, I'm not even hungry anymore. What happened? Have you ever had an experience like that? It's awesome, isn't it? He says, I have food that you know not of. Verse 34, it says. Oh, verse 33 says, that, Then the disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, I tell you, Jesus is telling us today, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest even now. Don't wait for some time in the future. Don't wait for just the right situation, the right opportunity. Pray every day, God, today could be the day. Today, Lord, if I can be a blessing to someone in some small way, please open up those doors because in season, out of season, I want to be ready for that, Lord, because the harvest is ready, and I want you to open my eyes to it. And I want to see, I want to see Aaron as not just some kid that wants to know about how to cook Italian food, but some guy that maybe in the very near future I can help across the threshold of eternity. Don't you want to meet people like that? I, I pray for the people that clean my clothes sometimes, you know, the, you know, my shirts, you know, that kind of stuff. 
I, not my wife and myself. I mean, that, we pray for each other all the time. But I'm talking about, you know, the cleaners. You know, I pray for people like that. I pray for, for the people that check me out at, at, at Walmart. You know, I pray for them. I, I say, God, I don't know what's going on in this person's life, but they look stressed. Please, I pray for my doctors. I pray, I pray for people all the time. I never know when it's going to be, but somehow, someday, God always sets up something. People always ask me, these stories can't be true. They are true. How could they happen to you and not to Look, they only happen to me because I pray for them to happen to me. Are you following what I'm saying? It's not because I'm more gifted or better. Or, some of you guys can speak so much more fluidly than I can in English. Some of you guys can do so much more than I could ever do. And God is just waiting for you to be contagious for him. Even now, the reaper draws his wages. Even now, he harvests the crop for eternal life. So the sower and the reaper may be glad together. That's the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. And then in verse 39, it says this. Many of the Samaritans from the town. Oh, man, this is so powerful. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. Why would they believe her? Are you, you see what I'm saying here? If she was just a prostitute, why would they believe her? So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. Can you imagine the disciples on this situation right here? great. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe. Catch this. Catch this. We no longer, I've heard a version of this from some of you. We no longer believe because of what you have said. Now we have heard it for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Wow. You will never know who you will influence by the actions of your obedience. You will never know how many more will come if you obey. As the worship team comes up, I want to tell you this story. I, I was, uh, was one of my first churches. I was really nervous as a pastor then, and I prayed this prayer like I, did, like I do this every day, to, even today. And, uh, and I remember going to church, and this woman comes up to me, a mom. Moms have prayed for their sons and daughters, and they keep hoping somebody will reach out. And she comes up to me, and she says, uh, I have a son. His name is Mark. He was raised in the church and has left. He's a good boy. And if, boy, if there's a way that you could reach out to him, I said, sure, if he ever comes, I'll be glad to. No, please. Find out Mark played golf. I told you about the golf story, the mulligan story. That was Mark. Uh, and then at one point, but, you know, that was just kind of getting together. At one point, she comes to me, and I'm saying, God, I need more. I need to do, some, I need to do more. I need to do more of this. And she comes to me, and she says, she says, I understand you're looking for a summer job. She says, my son, he's hiring. Oh, 
He's a plumber? I don't know anything about plumbing. Oh, don't worry. You get, this is back in those days. No, so that doesn't sound like a lot now, but think about this in the 80s, okay? You will get $10 an hour, $10 an hour, and uh, you can work with them. And it, it'll be easy. I figured, how hard could it be? I was an electrician with my dad. Why not be a plumber with Mark? And I thought to myself, you know, maybe God just wants me to connect with Mark this summer so maybe I can bring him to Jesus. And, uh, and Mark approached me. He says, hey, I understand you need a job. You know, my mom told me and, you know, never had a pastor work for me, but would you, would you want to work this summer for me? I said, I'd love to. And so at first I was the gopher. And I had to go around and I'll tell you stories about that all summer long, man. It was always challenges, stuff I had to get. The, they, this was a commercial plumber. So they had these big, long pipes I had to get and bring onto the truck one at a time. You know, it was ridiculous, man. There were times when I, I, I had to be in sludge. I'll call it sludge. And it was like, oh, my goodness. And I couldn't breathe. And I'm like, God, really? This is what you want me to do? To reach Mark? You want, you, you want me to stand in this sludge? Why? I mean, there were times when I'd be like, okay, I'm quitting tomorrow. I'm quitting tomorrow. I'd be bruised, and I couldn't get the smell off of me. And One time he had me, he gave me a jackhammer, man. I never used a jackhammer before. And I, I wasn't as big back then. He says, okay, careful when you turn it on. So I went, oh, this is no problem at all. I got this. Went to finally something with no sludge, you know. I'm like, okay, let's do it. He's like, just do the line. So I put it on and, and I'm just jumping all over the place. And, and he's laughing, you know. And I remember going home like this the whole time. I'm doing good, honey, really. You know, it's, it's, everything's okay. What's the matter with you? Nothing. Parkinson's maybe. I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. Sledgehammer. But you know, as time went on, Mark began to ask me about Jesus. And he had a girlfriend. And his, her name was Claudia. And they were going to get married. And he said, one day, I'll never forget this, he said, can you baptize us? So we started Bible studies. And I had the privilege of bap baptizing them and marrying them. And all the sludge in the world could never have kept me away from that. So here's my question for you as I close. Who is your Samaritan woman? Who is that person that keeps getting rejected over and over again? That person that sits alone at the lunch table. That person, person who's maybe a little too touchy-feely to approach. That person that talks too much. Or maybe it's the elderly gentleman who just doesn't get the modern world today. Who's your Samaritan woman? 
that neighbor across the street that drinks more than you're comfortable with. The merchant who uses very colorful language that you're trying to avoid. Or maybe it's the man who sits on the corner with a sign that you know he's just trying to beat the system. Who is your Samaritan woman? Are you willing to reach out to them? Are you willing to let Jesus just make you contagious? Say, God, I, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm willing to do this for you. Are you willing to catch the fire, the love-like fire that burns within you? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to have God as your only desire, your only purpose, your only way to worship him in such a way that you say, God, I, I don't know what I'm doing, but I need you. Let this fire consume my life. Let your love take me deeper. Put me closer. Pull me closer, Lord, where you are. Because all I want, God, is you, and I want to be able to shine you for others. Make me contagious for you, God. Take me to those Samaritan people in my lives, even if I have to go out of the way to get there. <laughs>